You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Presbyterian, a CREC church in Cochrane, Alberta. We invite you to visit our website at covenantpresbyterian.ca or contact us via email at covenantcochrane at gmail.com. We pray that you are blessed by the message. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This Sunday we are reading out of John chapter 11, picking up in verse 17. That's John chapter 11, verse 17 through 27. And it reads, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the God, Son of God, who is coming into the world. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. happy to be here. I'm happy. Uh, Manil's family, we've been praying for your safe travel here. We are certainly glad that you've made it, and uh, just in time, obviously. And uh, we continue to pray for that situation, and uh, welcome. We're happy that you're here. When last we looked at the Gospel of John, we were met uh, with a bit of a, shall we say, a conundrum. Uh, John gave us a strong indication of how we were to interpret what was coming. Uh, We were to understand the actions, or in this case, the non-actions of Jesus, according to Jesus' love for Lazarus and his sisters. Uh, This was important as we saw difficult things, like Jesus receiving notice that Lazarus was on his deathbed, and yet Jesus appeared to hesitate. He seemed complacent. He seemed passive. He seemed possibly lethargic to what was going on to the plight of poor Lazarus, who was on his deathbed. Jesus did the exact opposite of what we would expect of someone who had found out that someone that they loved were in serious trouble. You and I would have dropped everything and ran to the person. What did Jesus do? Did he dawdle? What what, what did he do? To make matters worse, after waiting around a couple of days, Jesus announces that Lazarus has indeed died. Then he tells his disciples that he was glad that he died and that he wasn't there for it. He was glad that he died and that he wasn't there for it. These things seem to be at odd to say and to do regarding someone whom you love. 
the lesson Jesus puts forth to us from those scriptures we've already covered, uh, that we have already covered, was primarily that Jesus knows that which we don't. Jesus knows that which we don't. He sees the whole picture. He knows what his purposes are, which is to bring glory to God. We don't see the whole picture. We often don't truly see. Uh, we often, or maybe is it, is it true we can say most times, we can't quite connect the dots. But what we as Christians should understand is that our job is to understand and trust that whatever so comes to pass will bring glory to God. We can't connect the dots, but the dots we can connect is that whatever happens will bring glory to God. Romans 8.28 is a passage that every Christian should have burned into their memory because it is often a passage which can and should bring great comfort to us in times when we too don't truly understand the goings-on in our own lives. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those that are called according to His purpose. We also understood Jesus' exchange with His disciples as what we might call a challenge to their faith. They believed that a return to Judea would be the end of the ministry. The end of Jesus' life as the Jews were actively seeking at this point to kill him. It was going to get worse, as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. And as his disciples, they in all likelihood were going to return to Judea and die with him. Are there not twelve hours in a day? Jesus asked. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Was the thrust of the question. Jesus had work to do. Jesus had much work to do and he was returning to Judea in order to do it. What looked hopeless and dark to the disciples was what Jesus was leading them into. They, too, like us, didn't have the whole picture. Were they going to follow Jesus? Were they going to trust him even when things looked dire? Were they going to trust him and follow him even when things looked bleak? Thomas answered the question, didn't he? What did Thomas say? Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was willing to follow Jesus even to his own death, which is commendable. Right? We would look at that and go, well, that's commendable. Very good. Of course, but Thomas failed to see that it was not yet Jesus' time to die. I'm not sure we can say at this point that, that Thomas truly, truly trusted Jesus. I can see Thomas shaking his head as he said this, right? Well, let us go. Here we go, right? Not understanding having his doubts. Then the story continues where we pick it up in 
verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. As we have mentioned in my previous sermons, the Jews believed that the spirit of a person hovered over the deceased person for three days. The idea was is that the spirit was looking for an opportunity to re-enter the person. But upon seeing the body decompose, which was day four, the spirit would then depart. Jesus arrived on the scene on day four. Lazarus' spirit was most definitely no longer there, even according to the standards of the beliefs of the time, right? And his body was beginning to decompose. The timing of Jesus here was absolutely deliberate. The raising of Lazarus would be an astounding miracle, an astounding miracle, one that could not be denied and would bring what we might call maximum glory to God. Show Jesus as the Messiah and bring the most vitriol and hatred from the Pharisees. The more Jesus demonstrated his godliness, the more hatred from the Jews he received. And what did Jesus find when he arrived at Bethany? Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, verses 18-19. There are two observations that I want to point out to you from this verse. One's, one's rather obvious, and one's maybe what we'd call a little less obvious. Uh, the obvious observation is that Thomas's concern of uh, returning to Judea was a very, very valid one. Bethany was actually less than two miles away. Uh, according to the Greek, if you figure out the 15 stadia, it's 1.7 miles, right? Uh, 1.7 miles away was the town of Bethany, a small town where Lazarus and his sisters lived, obviously located very, very close to Jerusalem, the very place that not that much earlier, Jesus was almost killed. They were trying to kill him. This was essentially walking back into the proverbial lion's den. Jesus returning to Bethany would quickly be reported to the authorities in Jerusalem. There was really no escaping that. Now we understand Thomas's concern, right? The less obvious observation is the social status of Lazarus and his family. The text tells us that many Jews had come from Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha in their loss. It was a social obligation during this time to support one another during these times of duress. Much like it is today, we do the same thing, right? Someone, someone has passed away. Lots of people show up to support the family. They bring gifts of food and things of comfort, words of comfort, right? Same idea. And obviously, a loss of a brother um, obviously qualifies for this. However, many, it says, many came from Jerusalem more than what we would have expected if the family were of what we might call low esteem. When we couple that with Mary pouring out expensive ointment on Jesus that we're going to see in chapter 12, uh, an ointment made of pure nard, the cost of which is a full year's wages, right? Uh, it's a pretty good indication that Lazarus and his sisters were a significant family a family of means in the social structure of the region. 
This is important considering what's about to happen. Uh, They were prominent people, or there were prominent people there. They were prominent and drew prominent people to their home when Lazarus had passed. And obviously those prominent people would have connections to both the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Some were, no doubt, in my mind anyway, some were no doubt enemies of Jesus. Right? They were not all supporters. However, I think we've, we have all seen this happen in which during times of loss and duress, especially in a family and, and friends, that strife is set aside for the greater good. It's not very often where we see at funerals and whatnot where families that don't get along are misbehaving. Everyone puts on their, on their best show uh, in order to support the family, right? Those that allied themselves with Jesus uh, were also, we need to keep in mind, were also threatened to be cast out of the synagogue, if you will recall. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were clearly and publicly supporters of Jesus and his ministry, right? This would have put them on the outs with some of the authorities in Jerusalem, right? Or at minimum, being looked upon with suspicion by the prominent leaders in Jerusalem. Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead in front of all these prominent witnesses. It was a big deal. He's going to raise Lazarus, and some of the witnesses are going to come to faith, Some of the witnesses are going to cause further divide. In fact, we're going to see that some ran back to Jerusalem and reported what they saw to the Pharisees. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. John here tells us the locations and actions of both sisters. And when I first read this in my sermon prep, I was trying to think, going back to uh, the beginning of the chapter when we were looking at Martha and Mary and Lazarus and, the, and what we knew about them, that is this expected? And more importantly, why did John mention the location and actions of both sisters here? We know that John doesn't give stuff superfluously. He doesn't just throw stuff out there just for the sake of throwing it out there. What was the purpose of it? Martha, if you'll remember, was the impulsive one. She was the, what we might say, demonstrably emotional one. If we can attribute a hothead to the two sisters, we'd say Martha was the hothead, right? She does what she does in this instance, and that is to run out to meet Jesus the minute that she hears that Jesus is on the road. She runs out to meet him, impulsive, go, right? Mary, on the other hand, is the more contemplative one. She's the one that often sits at the feet of Jesus, right? That's why Martha was so mad. Hey, make her get up and help. Mary is the quiet one, where she remains seated in her home, no doubt still grieving in her own way. I'd like to point out one thing from this verse, and that is that we all grieve in our own way. Martha, being Martha runs out to Jesus to have a chat, one in which she tries to make sense of everything. She is the active and and talkative one. She is clearly the outwardly emotional one. Mary, on the other hand, sits still and waits. This reminds me, and my sisters will forgive me if they they watch this, uh, this reminds me of the the two sisters I have remaining. Uh, I have one sister who is a Martha, and I have one sister who is a Mary, right? 
uh, this, this reminds me of them. I have one sister that would have definitely run out to see Jesus. The other one would actually have sat there, sat still and waited, just like Mary did. We make a mistake when we attribute emotions to actions. That's the point. We make a mistake when we attribute emotions to actions. In this case, calling Martha the emotional one, but Mary maybe the stoic one, uh, might not be Mary is definitely playing or acting like the stoic one. But Mary and those like her more often than not feel more deeply than the Marthas. Oftentimes. They're the quiet ones, but what do they say? Still waters run very, very deep. Mary, I believe, is a still water. Runs very deep, right? Martha's more like a fast river, right? The difference is that Mary is just a little more introspective. So we need to make sure that we do not make judgments of those that don't act the same as you and I might do, uh, might do during difficult times. I've seen this on more than one occasion. Why aren't you more upset? That sort of idea. Everyone deals with loss and duress in different ways, even inside our church family here. We might look over and see someone who is not quite acting the same way we, we are, so therefore there must be something wrong with them, right? We need to make sure that we don't do that. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died, verse 21. There are a couple of ways that we can understand Martha's statement to Jesus here. Uh, there are some who attribute this as a mild rebuke to Jesus. It's one way of looking at it, sort of a, Lord, where were you? Lord, why didn't you come when we called you? My brother would have been alive. This is your fault. That's one way of looking at it. Others attribute her statement as one of sorrow. That if Jesus had only gotten there a little sooner, Lazarus would have lived. Jesus would have healed him and life would have gone on. Everything would have been fine. I think either interpretation is possible or maybe a mix of, of both, uh, we can often say things in an accusatory tone when we're upset or emotionally compromised. That's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to most of you as well. Regardless, Martha is showing us something of her faith in Jesus. She's showing us something of her faith in Jesus. She knows that if Jesus were present, Lazarus would have lived. She has she has faith that says, Jesus, when present, can do miraculous things. If only he would have been here. Right? However, we know that her faith is only partially correct. Jesus could just as easily have healed Lazarus from where he stood when he received the letter. Her understanding of the power of Jesus is incomplete. And because it's incomplete, she lacks the proper reverence and glory to be given to him. This is what it means to glorify. In order to give glory, you must have the requisite knowledge in order to give glory. So she saw partially. She knows partially. But in that partiality, she misunderstands the situation. She is a biblical example of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, that says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 
even today, we see only partially. Right? Verse 22, but even now I know, this is Martha still speaking, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. How are we to understand what Martha says here? From a cursory reading, one may, one may be tempted to say that Martha is hoping that Jesus could still do the miraculous. Maybe she still has some hope that, she, that, that Jesus will do something for Lazarus. Maybe Jesus could still raise him from the dead. And while I would argue that at first blush, it looks like that could be the case, when we see Jesus appearing at the tomb, he's approaching the tomb in verse 39 that we're going to see uh, in the future, it is who? It is Martha who tells Jesus that Lazarus had started to smell and that maybe it's a bad idea to roll that stone away. And if that's the case, which it clearly is, then I don't think we can interpret what she said here as still hopeful that she will raise him from the dead. Martha was not hopeful for a resurrection then, so why would she be hopeful of a resurrection now? It doesn't make sense. So I think the better understanding of what Martha is getting at here is that Jesus wasn't there for them when they needed him. Martha doesn't understand what's going on. Martha doesn't understand why Jesus wasn't there. Martha doesn't understand why Jesus didn't come immediately to help. She, ha- she does not understand any of these things. She knows Jesus loves Lazarus. She knows Jesus loves Martha and Mary. She knows this. So why didn't he come? She doesn't understand the extent of Jesus' power and glory. There is much she doesn't understand yet. Yet, she still knows and understands that Jesus has a connection to the Father, which is undeniable. It's undeniable. She still has faith in Him. However, However incomplete or however flawed it might be, she still has faith in Christ. She doesn't understand, but she still has faith. She doesn't know much, but she knows, she knows that whatever Jesus asks from the Father, the Father will give it. It reminds me of something I heard many years ago, and I can't remember who said it, but it went something along the lines of, the more I get to know God, the more I realize I don't know anything. The more I know God, the, more, the less I know about anything else that I thought I knew. But the more I get to know God, I am more and more confident in ever of the things I know of God. And that's what matters. Martha was on this same path. She couldn't figure out what was going on. She didn't understand. She didn't understand. But she knew, she knew she could rely on Christ. Jesus says to her, Your brother will rise again. 
Martha says back to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verses uh, 23-24. In this brief exchange, we have Jesus being incredibly ambiguous. Is it deliberate? I can't help but see Jesus being somewhat cheeky here. His declaration of Lazarus rising again could be understood as a comfort to Martha that Lazarus will rise again. He will live again on the last day. This is the hope all Christians have and is a comfort to those who have lost loved ones that are dead in Christ. That is a comfort. This is exactly how Martha understands it as well. Yes, Lord, he will rise again on the last day. Little does she know what Jesus is talking about. Little does she know what Jesus is about to do. Jesus let her think he was talking about the day of judgment. He didn't correct her. He didn't He didn't say no, 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 Mary. Just watch. He didn't say that. He knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead in a few minutes, and yet he didn't, he didn't correct her thinking. I, I just look at this and think, who says God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the fifth. I almost went fifth. This is the fifth of the I am statements found in the Gospel of John. The first four were, first one was the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The second one was I am the light of the world. Number three was I am the gate Number four was, I am the good shepherd. Number five is, I am the resurrection. The orthodox position at the time, at Jesus' time, was that there would be a resurrection on the day of judgment. It was only the Sadducees who rejected the bodily resurrection. When Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life, What exactly is he claiming? What exactly would they have understood when he says that? Who can raise people from the dead? Who is the one who gives life? Your answer? God. The Lord. Capital L. Capital O. Capital R. Capital D. Only the Lord can do these things. Jesus is once again claiming for himself something that only God has the power and authority to do. And we must remember, what scriptures did they have back then? Just the Old Testament. So, what would they have thought of when Jesus is claiming these things for himself? They might have thought of Job 33 and verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. They may have thought of Isaiah 42 and verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. 
Daniel 12 and verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Awake. They shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And finally, Ezekiel 37, 12 to 14. This is my final. There are lots of them, right? This is just the last one I'm using. Ezekiel 37, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will settle and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. There is no mistaking that Jesus is claiming for himself that which is the exclusive right and authority of God himself. Now his next two assertions have been contemplated since they've been written, I'm sure, regarding what exactly was Jesus getting at. And there are three predominant positions that have been put forward. And that is, is he speaking strictly spiritually? Is he speaking strictly Physically? Is he speaking both physically and spiritually? You want the good news? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which way you read this. Whatever interpretation you take, every single one of those interpretations is correct. They're all correct. All of the positions I just gave you are both orthodox and true. Whoever believes in Jesus, though he die physically shall rise again to the newness of life bodily. And God's people said, Amen. Whoever believes in Jesus has spiritual life, being raised spiritually from the dead. Whoever is a believer in Christ shall live forever spiritually and will never die spiritually. And God's people said, Amen. Whoever believes, it's the third one, whoever believes in Jesus, though he die physically, shall live on spiritually in him. And God's people said, Amen. The most important question given here is from Jesus to Martha. And I want to end, this is my conclusion. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who gives life, both spiritually and physically. He is the one who will raise our bodies from the grave, some unto everlasting life, others to everlasting contempt. This is a claim from a man who lived 2,000 years ago. This is a claim from a man whose grave is empty, And when preparing this, I couldn't help but think it's far easier for us today to look back in history and say, the grave of Jesus is empty. He rose from the dead. Praise God. Hallelujah. He is the resurrection and the life. And yet there are many today that deny this fact. But what about Martha? 
Poor Martha. Upset over her brother's death. Jesus standing before her. She's confused. She's bewildered. Not sure what to think anymore. Having Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I think this question put to her at this time is far harder, far more difficult, requires far more faith than maybe we like to think. She clearly believes to a certain degree. She clearly has faith to some degree. But consider her condition. Consider her context. What a time to have that question put forth. And what was her glorious answer? This is incredible. I think it's incredible considering what just happened. And how confused she is. What's her answer? Yes, Lord. Yes. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Lazarus was dead in the grave. Martha's heart was broken. The one man that she thought she could save him didn't show. He didn't show. And here he is, claiming to be the author and sustainer of life and he who has power over death. And with her response in the positive, Lazarus' raising to life again is a, is a parable. It's a parable of the power of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which brings clarity and brings much glory to the person and work of Jesus Christ. She believed. She believed in him, even though she didn't understand. She believed, but now she is about to see firsthand. She's about to see firsthand. So my question to you, saints, is do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, sent to die for sinners, to raise those who believe unto eternal life? Do you believe this? May your answer reflect that of Martha's. Though we see dimly through a mirror, by faith, even when we don't understand, by faith, you will see more clearly, looking forward to the day when we will see him face to face. Will you pray? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this demonstration of faith given by Martha. Martha the hothead. Martha the emotion, demonstrably emotional one. She didn't understand. And sometimes, Lord, neither do we. Sometimes we don't understand either. But Lord, help us to be like Martha. Who even in times of difficulty and in, even in times of, of personal pain and suffering that we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, I believe. Lord, help us in our unbelief. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.